So over these last few weeks, um, and accompanied by uh, some of this beautiful artwork, we've been um, going through some of Jesus' words from the cross. And today we're on that um, one, two, five, fifth word. Um, I want to ask you a question before we get into this word. The question would be, what is the most thirsty you've ever been? Uh, I don't know that I'm that thirsty very often. A few nights ago, I've been having these weird things over this last week. Like I kind of had a migraine yesterday, which never happens. And a few nights ago, uh, I woke up, um, like I was woken up with a cramp in, like, in my calf. And that's like terrible. Um, and, and I think somewhere that's related to thirst. Probably more accurately, it's related to too much coffee. But it's... <laughs> also related to thirst. So what is the most thirsty you've ever been? Today happens to be World Water Day. And, and, and that's like one of the lower tier holidays on our calendars. <laughs> it's a created holiday and it's for awareness. You know, the, the UN started this holiday to talk about the issue of clean water scarcity and insecurity worldwide. Um, for me, the, it's one of those things that seems so out there, right? World Water Day. Halfway across the world, there is, is where we go to dig wells for other people. There is where other men, women, and children thirst. You know, out there is sub-Saharan Africa or urban India or, um, you know, somewhere where we see on the news after a big storm. Places where, in some places, there's not even a tap to turn on. Where water means risk for disease, where thirst is the norm. We here don't thirst like those people out there. But then last week, this got a little closer to right here. Well, not right here. Maybe right here for people like the Nipes. Um, when a NASA scientist estimated that the state of California has a year of water left. It's had one of its warmest and driest winters in history and that the state might not have enough water supply past this year. This would affect pretty important things like irrigation and crops and, and, and crops, really important crops that we love like almonds and avocados and California raisins and those sort of things. But eventually I think it would also affect some of the residents' thirst. Initially, you know, kind of low bar things, like when you go to a restaurant, you have to ask for water or pay for it instead of just being given it. But eventually, um, some of the state's most vulnerable might not have good access to drinking water. It sounds like that thirst is right here. So on this World Water Day, our world, in so many ways, is thirsty. And when we thirst, Jesus thirsts. John 19, 28, Jesus' fifth word from the cross is this. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. Later, knowing that everything had now been fulfilled and that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am 
thirsty and say it twice in case you, you could almost miss it. The later in this verse refers, of course, to a, a couple weeks ago when Jesus looked below the cross at, at the foot and gestured to John, to John, to Mary, and said, here is your mother, and vice versa. And he said, here is your son, and he made a new family. This would be the bedrock of Christ's church. This church had been, uh, as the verse says, finished. It, the church had been finished forward. We're set up to succeed. Because, like we read last week Psalm, in Psalm 22, he has done it. We're finished forward. And then this, this scripture also says that the scripture would be fulfilled. That it's finished backwards, it's fulfilled. All of the promises of salvation that had been anticipated had been found in Christ. God coming to be with humanity, moving into the neighborhood, taking on flesh and blood and bringing us back from exile, joining us to God's rescue plan for the rest of the world, his coming kingdom. Every minute detail was fulfilled in faithful but surprising ways. That's the trick. When Jesus fulfills these things, they're, they're, he fulfills them in ways that isn't always easy to see to the people around him when he's working. Isn't always easy to see to a lot of people, except maybe the people on the underside. Maybe the people who are thirsty. Ways that re requires us to get a new vocabulary, a vocabulary of hope, a vocabulary of abundance, and a vocabulary that we look forward to God's future with songs and psalms. That these psalms and songs become the servant's own songs and psalms, thoughts and words. So when we come to this, these words from the cross, I am thirsty, how are we to take them? Are we, do we take them literally? Do we take them as some big metaphor? I think, I think maybe a little bit of both. I think his thirst is so literal here. <laughs> and I think that's good news. I think that's good news that, he, that when Jesus says he's thirsty, he really is thirsty. I think Jesus gets our weakness. He gets it. He's been there. And that's not a small thing to say in John's Gospel. Because anyone who's read John's Gospel enough knows that as you march through John's Gospel, over and over there's this one theme that keeps popping up. Jesus makes these grand metaphorical statements about himself. He identifies himself with Yahweh, Israel's God that God who calls himself, I am who I am. And he says, ego ami, over and over, I am, and he says, I am the living water. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the true vine. I am the gate. But here, there's no formula. There's, there's not a riddle. There's nothing to decode. On the cross, Jesus just plain is thirsty. This is good news. Jesus gets.
gets our weakness. He knows what it's like. He knows what it's like to have your tongue stick to your mouth because you really are thirsty. And that's a scandal, right? That's a scandal that the God-man, 100% man and 100% God, would empty himself and become a servant. That's what we said a few minutes ago in Philippians 2. That's a scandal that, that Jesus really is all God and all man, not, not 50-50 or not some mixture thereof. That Jesus gets our weakness. But I think there's also a lot more going on when, it says, when Jesus says, I am thirsty. I think Jesus' thirst also fits in this huge narrative, this, this big God-sized story. A story that all of our little stories fit inside. And these stories, you know, are big enough to, to, to take our, our, our fears and our wants. Uh, you know, they, they take our words and the words we don't know that we have. Jesus' thirst fits inside God's story and takes our words and our wants. Jesus' thirst takes our words by reconfiguring the psalmist cries. And we did a little bit of this work last week with Psalm 22. But where we saw that, that cry of dereliction when Jesus on the cross says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, at, you know, at the surface it looks pretty desperate. It looks pretty bad. It's kind of embarrassing for us to have, you know, our key representative, our Messiah, abandoned by God and, and calling God out for it. But as we, as we got a little deeper, we realized that that was less a scream of horror. It was less abandonment. It was less an ending, and it was more elusive. It was opening something hopeful up. It was a little subversive. It was a start. It entreated God. It trusted God the God of Psalm 22, to see the rest of the psalm out. Go look that psalm up, and, and after you get through the first couple of verses, then see what it says. And it ends with this note. He has done it. So Jesus' own thirst, it reconfigures what the psalmist is saying. It reconfigures our own cries. When we cry out to God, if we're in Christ our words get taken up into him by his spirit to the Father. How about that? Our words get taken up into Jesus by the Spirit to the Father. Man's words become God's words through what Jesus did and said and was. This is, I like to think of it as like an elaborate, while we're on the water metaphor, like an elaborate spiritual filtration process that occurs here. And allows us to encounter a God so utterly unlike us that we hardly know him or recognize him. He's so lovely and loving that we pale in comparison. He's so pure that we shrink back like, like Isaiah in Isaiah 6. We shrink back at our own impurity. He, he reveals ourselves to us. A God so powerful that we'd turn away, we'd hide our face like Moses. He said that Jesus... The Word made flesh takes our words to God. Jesus, the living water, thirsts so that we might be 
quenched and experience the abundant fountain of the Father's blessing. This is, this is how the math goes here of our salvation in Christ. He becomes poor that we might become rich. He becomes less so that we might become greater. He becomes empty so that we might be filled with God. And then he takes these words, these psalmist words, and reconfigures them. And here's, here's a couple um, examples. Psalm 22, we'll go back to that one. I am poured out like water all my bones are out of joint. My heart is turned to wax. It is melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. If you've ever felt a hint of that feeling, what the psalmist is saying, that despair, Jesus felt it too. Jesus felt it actually more fully more completely than even the psalmist did. Psalm 42, and, and this was, uh, there's a lot of songs that are made out of the song, and, and I always think of this psalm because it was a song that we sang at my grandfather's funeral. A white-tailed deer drinks from the creek, and, and this is a paraphrase, I want to drink God, deep drafts of God. I'm thirsty for God alive. I wonder, will I ever make it? Arrive and drink in God's presence? No, I'm on a a diet of tears. Tears for breakfast, tears for supper. All day long, people knock at my door and they pester me. Where is this God of yours? Have you ever had that hint of hope, that little remembrance? That you need to get back to God? Because maybe you've left him. Maybe you've forgotten about him, but, but he's still there. He's still, um, by his spirit, kind of pestering you. If, if maybe you're in a spot where you need to exchange that diet of tears for a thirst for God alive. I love the way the, the paraphrase puts it. A thirst for God alive. If you ever had that, that feeling of being surrounded by doubters, the way a desert, a desert surrounds you. Know that Jesus felt that too on the cross. I love um, when we're talking about Psalms right, and we're talking about how these words somehow blend. They're really mysterious because they, they, they become our words and, and our words become um, words that would fit on Jesus' mouth. I, I love Bonhoeffer's Um, statement on this. And he says, Jesus Christ has brought every need, every joy, every gratitude, every hope of man before God. In his mouth, the word of God becomes the word, the word of man becomes the word of God. And if we pray his prayer with him, the word of God becomes once again the word of man. All prayers of the Bible are such prayers that we pray together with Jesus Christ, in which he accompanies us and through which he brings us into the presence of God. Otherwise, there are no true prayers. For only in and with Jesus can we truly pray. Jesus takes our words and reconfigures them. 
He also, his thirst takes our wants and reconfigures them. That's so core of what it means to be human. Like, we, we so think, um, what's, the, what's the phrase that we always think? I think, therefore I am, is that what it is? Um, that gives, me, gives my brain so much credit, right? I, I, I'm hungry more than I think, right? Like, even before I think, I wake up in the morning and I'm, I'm hungry, therefore I am. I'm, I'm so hungry, I'm angry. And I think there's a word for that. I think Jesus knows this too, and, and he reconfigures our, our wants, our thirsts, our desires, the things that we need fulfilled in us. If Jesus gets our weakness, I think he also gets our strength, the things we need to make us strong, the things we need to fulfill us, to comfort us, to make us able to flourish. Leading up to Jesus' crucifixion in, in John's Gospel, we have a few encounters. And there's kind of a couple clues of how this happens. And these are amazing stories. Go home after you've spent all day here, take a quick nap, and then open up John's Gospel and read all these stories. Um, look for all the I am's and then look for all the encounters. And, and you'll see stories like John 4, the woman at the well. I'll, I'll read a little passage of it. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for this drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw. <laughs> Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than your father Jacob? who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as also did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. Jesus makes a request of someone that he never should have even been talking to on a couple of accounts. She's a woman and she's a Samaritan, and she says as much. Yet he asks her for a drink. Ask her to look closer and to see the gift of God being thrown right in her lap, in the living water at her disposal. God's grace never asks more than it provides, right? He's not asking her for more than she can do. When she protests that, she doesn't have any, that he doesn't have anything to dip into the deep well to quench his thirst, the onion of Jesus' identity starts to peel away. Are you greater than Jacob, who gave us this well? It's like high uh, suspense here. 
Jesus knows the old runner's adage here, that you're dehydrated far before you're even thirsty. And then he quenches that thirst forever in this woman. There's no end to Jesus' divine supply. This living water isn't stagnant. It's moving. It's fresh. It's life-giving. It's eternal. And the very next thing he does, it does is have the woman cough up some of her other desires. Go back and read the story. See what happens next. Things she's ashamed of start coming out of the woodwork once she's fulfilled by this living water. Things she's carrying with her wounds of five plus husbands, five husbands and a live-in boyfriend. Go look it up. Her receiving Jesus' living water for her thirst radically reorganizes the way the rest of her desires work. The shame, those things that we do to fill holes, things that we don't feel like we have any other choice but to do. It's like, like when you go to a grocery store hungry, like you do terrible things when you go to a grocery store hungry. That's how we walk around living most of our times, and Jesus knows that. We look for other things to satisfy us. To all that, he says, everyone who drinks this water will never be thirsty, will be thirsty again, and whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. The second story comes from John 7. And this is a little, uh, a little more um, context needed. This is during a, a feast day for Jews, the Feast of Tabernac- Tabernacles or Tents. And it's this fall festival. It's really fun in which they celebrate God's faithfulness from John 7. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. And on hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is a prophet. Others said, he is the Messiah. Jesus' words here in this this really kind of highly charged environment with a lot of symbolism swirling around, Jesus' words here recall the prophet Isaiah's return from exile language. This, This is when trees and mountains and rivers would clap hands and the feast would be on. Come to the table. Come without money. Come and buy. Jesus shows up at the fall feast. That reminder of God's present and past provision. And he says, I have what you need. I have living water. You see, the, they would celebrate in the past um, how God had been faithful to them as they wandered in the desert and the wilderness. They celebrated in the present how they had this big harvest party. Maybe we'll have a harvest party this summer and set up tents all over the grounds. It'll be awesome. I remember, I, I kind of remember when this happened when I was an undergrad at University of Florida. The, the Jewish student um, group would make these booths and, and set them up around like the campus quad. And like, 
which sounds awesome and so devout, but like in typical like co-ed fashion, like they were like spray painted orange and blue with like gator insignias on them, you know? So it wasn't as devout as it might sound. It's, it's, it's kind of like a really religious or not really, an overtly religious Krzyzewskiville, uh, you know, like that already is a religious thing, but this is like meaning to be. But during these celebrations, there were water offerings to commemorate how God provided water for his people in the desert. There's that story in Numbers where, where they're griping to Moses and Aaron, and they say, we wish we had just died. You know, like, they, the Israelites sound like teenagers, you know, like, so often, like, I just can't. I wish we had just died. Um, they say, there's no grain or figs or grapevines or pomegranates. We don't even have water. You know, this sounds like California, too. Uh, like, try to do the Israelites' voice and the Californian voice. It's really great. And then, all of a sudden, Moses strikes a rock with Aaron's stick. Like, this is so awesome. And water gushes out. And then, like, for all the buildup to that, the description after it is, and the community and livestock drank. Like, that's like, that's like the, the end result. But with all this in the background, Jesus shows up at this festival, and he claims himself to be the rock who God gave them for their thirst. That the Holy Spirit might come and seep into every corner of their beings, our beings, fulfilling our longings, putting whole rivers inside of us. Think about that. Everyone in this room, if you are in Christ, has an entire river inside of you. That is, we are way, these lives that we live are way bigger than we walk around acting like they are. They're way more abundant, way fuller. Jesus would put whole rivers inside of us. Jesus shows up in the story in this grand theatric moment. And he puts on display the fact that he's not only willing but able to fill our deepest desires. Let me be clear. Our deepest desires, not the things we want most. (laughs) Jesus is no genie. Jesus is not going to give us junk food. Jesus is going to give us living water. Not the things that we attend to that hide our need of God, but that actual need of God. Not the things that we, um, that, that, that we take and, and attend to just to forget the other things. Rather, Jesus in his life and his death makes room for us. He offers us all that he has and brings us up to the banquet table to drink our fill. And I think that's the good news this morning. It's the good news even as we read these words of Jesus on the cross. I am thirsty. The good news is that God gets our hurt, gets our lack, gets our fear, gets our feelings. God desires us to desire God. 
He's made a way for that to happen in our words, in our wants, the very core of what makes us human beings. At the cross, Jesus feels this need, this lack for our sake in our place. He felt it so much more deeply than we ever could, so much more truly, and and in so doing, he made a way for us, a way for our thirst to be quenched, a way for us to receive living water that would fill us to the full, rivers inside of us. Living water that comes from Jesus' side, pierced for our sins, but risen, victorious, a first fruit of a new creation, redeemed and reconciled, brought back from exile, sin and death, and ushering in God's kingdom. The good news is that any thirst that you have, a relationship or in your work, a loneliness, a thirst that you have um, in, your, in your sex life or in your finances, in your dreams or in your nightmares, thirst that manifests himself in bad hopes. We hope so poorly sometimes. Any of those can be flooded by God's mercy given to us in Christ. That we can be like the woman at Jacob's well, starting just even a little bit to recognize the gift of God in the person in front of them. Joining Jesus, participating in helping ourselves and helping others drink from a fountain of God's love, His grace. If you haven't tasted this, taste and see that the Lord is good. The Lord's not anything else but good. If you haven't asked for forgiveness, do that and start joining Jesus. If you haven't been baptized, (laughs) talk to me. We can make this happen. We're in an old Baptist church. But that's all to show that you've, you've been so immersed in God's forgiveness in Jesus and you've been risen out of it into this new life, into a new body, Jesus' body. Will you all pray with me? Father, we thank you for these words from the cross. Really just, just in the Greek, really just one word. I'm thirsty. We thank you that your son was so thirsty for our sake. So thirsty for us to to come to you and to know you. We thank you that in, in, in Christ all of the world's expectations are are met, exceeded. All of our words somehow filter and become his words. All of our wants somehow are inside of of his lack, and that's our gain. Father, help us uh, to offer, to live in first, to live in this sort of abundance and to offer it, Lord. Lord. 
Help us know how much you've given us in Christ. Rivers in each of us. Living water through your spirit. More than enough. Help us live lives of abundance. Lives that expect you to work in our midst. Lives that that recognize you when you show up and you're a gift of God talking to us, telling us to, to, to draw him some water. Father, we thank you so much for, for condescending to, to, to get us. You understand us. We thank you so much for saving us through your Son on the cross. through that empty tomb and that risen Jesus, through that spirit that is so alive in this world, help us join in what that spirit's doing. Lord, we thank you so much. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.